0: Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and coming on the show today is John Rathbun. He's the team lead of Graph & Company Financial Management right here in Fairfield, Iowa. Thank you for joining me today, John.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: So the way that I usually start these podcasts that has been very interesting for our listeners because every story and journey is unique and different is to ask you to talk about your own personal story. And I'll just segue back to something I just stated to make sure our listeners catch it because I think it's a special fun fact in your story is that you are located right here in Fairfield, Iowa, which is where our main campus is. And that has allowed us, in my opinion, to create a unique relationship that we don't always have the opportunity to do. So with that, Tell us, how did you get started in the profession? How, talk about your journey and how did you get where you are today?
1: Well, I would say I got here with a, with a lot of work and a lot of mistakes. You know, after a formal education, I, I went to work for an insurance company and wound up owning an insurance agency and evolved into life insurance and ultimately into financial planning. Then in the late 1980s, which is forever for some people started working in fees on the planning side, started moving our assets to fees in the early 1990s. And we were a block away from Cambridge. I walked over there and took a look at what you had.
0: You indicated that you had a formal education. What was that in?
1: Just business, general business.
0: One of the things that we try to do through this podcast is highlight why someone might want to be in our business. And maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the experiences in your earlier career. You know, a lot of times people fall into our particular business accidentally, if you will, and they didn't start off. So when you were going to school in general business, did you know you were going to be a financial planner? Talk about how you found your way there in a little bit more detail.
1: Well, I, I've I've said to many people over the course of 30, 40 years that most of the time, very few people know where they're going to wind up. And the challenge we face is really just being willing to pay tuition. And I don't mean in the formal way. I mean in in the reality that if you're going to be good at something, and why be bad at something? Well, you're going to have to invest your time, and that could be a lot of time. You're going to have to learn new thoughts, and you're certainly gonna have to be willing to have temporary failure. And then you're just gonna have to push yourself twice as hard to turn that into success. So in the course of a career, I didn't know I was gonna get into the insurance field. I had a good friend who was in it. He enjoyed it. So to me at that point, honestly, it was a job. It was just a job for a 20 something year old. And I found that I was good at working with people in challenging situations. I wasn't intimidated by that. And I felt if you were, you know, if everybody was just honest and open, you know, not continue to work at it, you'd get past that challenge. So it, it led me from the insurance business, working for a company to owning an insurance agency into financial planning, which I'm, I am a problem solver. That's what I'm good at. And the planning just seemed to make sense for me. And so I, but then my career, I literally built my career based on five-year blocks. And so would set sites and goals every five years and then break it down into two years, one year, six months, tomorrow. And through the course of that, I spent a lot, a lot of time getting to where I am.
0: That's great. Thank you for sharing. Let's talk a little bit about I think for the rest of the story, it would be good for our listeners to hear from you on what the profile of the typical client looks like in your business.
1: For almost 40 years, we have always done what I call an orientation. That orientation is an introductory meeting. And in that meeting, we're, and I'm very candid about this, very honest with people in the orientation, that today you're getting to know us and you're making a judgment about us, but in the same light, we are doing the same to you. And we have criteria in choosing a client, but it's not based on worldly assets, worldly values. But we know that we work harder for people we like, for people we trust. I've always said, if you haven't wept with your clients, you haven't gotten there yet. Because I mean, the way we do it is a very intimate relationship. So you have to choose carefully. So we're looking for values, but they're not dollars and cents.
0: Was it always that way? Did you, did you approach it that way in the early stages of your career as well?
1: I think I always wanted clients with extremely high personal values, but starvation will cause you to take some you regret later. I've learned how to have what I call a breakup speech. It's not you, it's me. You know, we're just not able to deliver in what you need. And so over the course of time, you take in a few that you regret. But for the most part, we've got, because we're careful, we've got great people who really trust us and we really trust them. And that makes for a pretty good career.
0: To your point, working with, regardless of what capacity that working is, working with people that you genuinely like is much more fulfilling.
1: I can't imagine why anybody would want to work with people they don't like.
0: Agreed. You mentioned earlier that you were good at working with people who had challenges or working with challenging situations with people, I believe is the way that you put it. So one of life's challenges, especially if they have a business, is succession planning. Talk to us about your passion around that topic.
1: Well, as I've gotten older, my passion has grown, I think for the most of the part, most of my years, and I don't speak in years anymore, I speak in decades, so that says something about, you know, how long I've been around, but I think in a great sense, most of those years, you're just committing to serving, you know, succession for me when I was 40 or 50 didn't mean as much to me, because really, it was just how well was I going to serve this day, this week? And that's really all we do is we serve. And so in that capacity, as I continue to get older, and there was less hair on my head and more white on my face, I look in the mirror and I say, you know, at some point I'm probably going to be done with this career. And, you know, I began at, oh, it's probably about 55, being very open with clients, inviting them to always ask me and be willing to, participate in a conversation about what is my succession plan. I think they have every right under the sun to ask me what that plan is. I mean, to me, that should not be hidden. It should not be a secret. So it really caused me to start thinking deeply about that. And here I'm at 65 and you know, I don't have that perfectly designed, but in the last year and a half, I've been working diligently and I do mean diligently to figure out what that means to me. Because, you know, even from 55 to 65, you know, I explored, I watched, I paid attention. I tried to figure out exactly what our clients needed. I do not believe that succession is about me, I believe it's about them. And so, you know, what it's my last and final legacy. What do I leave for them? And how do I make it stronger as I? decide to go fishing more so you know it doesn't mean I don't have a role in that but you have to I really think you have to approach succession planning with transparency and humility because there will be a time when you know I will vaguely be remembered and that's okay that's okay so it's really what's important is making sure the pieces of the foundation you know the integrity is is all there
0: Can you talk about some of the specific things that you've had to put in place to start building that plan?
1: Well, you know, one of the key elements that I had to do was the Continuity Express through Cambridge. If I was hit by a bus or couldn't spell my name, somebody needed to be prepared to take over and be responsible. Now, we are team-driven. There's myself and Bobby Northup. So, I mean, there's two advisors, and, and then we have great teammates in Jennifer Coleman and Darcy Wibstead. And so, I mean, we have a great team, and it, I don't want to call this boutique, but, I mean, we're, our intention is not to become massive. It's just be great. And so I, I never worried about whether the team could uh, address any short-term need. It was really just a long-term need. And so, I mean, and the one thing we do in here, there are no secrets they're just it's just not the way we operate so you know Bo and i work on all clients together jennifer and darcy work on all those same clients i mean it's a four-person team serving all clients so it's not like there's going to be any secrets if i if i'm not here but that doesn't mean that there isn't a need for somebody to fill in my place so beyond the continuity express you know, I really began that process saying, what's it going to take? I don't think it's a responsibility for me to find a mini me. Our industry is constantly changing and evolving and developing. So what comes next is different than me. But there's still going to be some needs that I fill in today that are going to have to be addressed by somebody else. So it's really a case of really, as I started 55, really taking a serious, you know, honest look at what it was going to take. And then for the last year and a half, I've really looked at some of the options that are out there, as well as starting to create what I consider the must-haves. What is it that we must have in the future? And that's that's a different list for each office. I mean, we're really comprehensive. We were doing wealth management before the term existed. We work with their attorneys. We work with their CPAs. You know, we get into working with our clients at the end of the year in tax planning. We have copies of all their legal documents. There isn't anything, there isn't anything we don't ask for and expect to be aware of. I don't know how we can give good counsel without all that information. And I, I would, I've said this for years, but I don't think there's another professional our clients work with that know them better than we know them. So in reality, it's, you know, it's coming down with must-haves. What must we have in the future? And I think every succession plan has that critical analysis that they have to go through.
0: You know, you made that comment earlier that you understood that your successor doesn't have to do it just the way that you do it. And I applaud that. It's probably one of the most difficult things for the financial professionals that I've seen that are clients of ours to work through because while you realize with your head, in your head, that that's the right statement to make, emotionally, their clients are their family. They've built something so special. They've spent their lives building something so special. And it's very hard for an entrepreneur who's done that to let go so I applaud you. It sounds like you have made your way significantly through that particular challenge of this process.
1: Well, I would say the walk's harder than the talk, you know, but I've always put it this way. I've always used this analogy. How easy would it be for you if at a given point in your career, you became so busy that it was mandated that you give your children to somebody else?
0: Great analogy. Absolutely. The successful route often is the successor coming in and appreciating and genuinely being empathetic around these issues we're talking about and spending time. It isn't a, I walk in tomorrow and take over the business frequently. Can be, but you know, a successful transition isn't quite as quick as that. And they oftentimes spend some time building something new, similar to what it was. But together, they build something new that allows you to be comfortable that those children will be taken care of.
1: Yes. I mean, you know, like I think I said earlier, I mean, we have such an intimate relationship with our clients. And I think a good financial planning practice and wealth management practice is very intimate. And, you know, it's not an easy separation, even for them.
0: Let's shift gears, if you don't mind, and let's talk about the process that you use with your clients. How do you, you mentioned earlier how your introductory meeting goes. Let's assume that the client passes that process and you genuinely feel like you should work with them. What happens next? How do you put together a plan for your clients?
1: I started my career doing one financial plan at a time. You know, I started with CFP back in the 1980s, and I just thought it was the right way to do it. And I've always said this, you know, all of us have to have some sales ability, but really what's really the ideal scenario is when we can be effective enough so that the clients ask to have their needs served. And so it's the close ratio, you know, that that final point where that somebody's got to make a decision. Our job is ultimately to make that decision easy, and you know that's what the orientation does. Is it identify? I call it, I call this the burning pant legs. If your pant legs are on fire, you don't care about retirement. You care about that issue right there. And so through the orientation process, and it can last an hour or two. You know, one of the intentions, one of the things I have to be really good at is discovering their burning pant legs. And those become as much, I've done all the planning you can imagine, but it always comes back to the first things have to be first. And once you get those addressed, you move on to the second things and the third thing. So it's not textbook, you know, Amy and Matt, their needs and the problems I can see are different. Than John and Mary, so it can't be so structured that it loses sight of immediacy. And once you address, and you look at them straight in the eye and you say, "Okay, if you're ready, participate." now use the term "participate" when you're ready to participate. Then we're going to go after these. Issues. We're going to get every piece of information you have. There's, we're going to get on the phone, call these companies. We're going to look at your taxes. We're going to talk to your CPA. We're going to talk whatever we have to do. We're going to do and the team jumps in, starts gathering all that information, and we are going to address the burning pant legs because we're not gonna get past anything. You know, you're not gonna put air conditioning in your home if you have no windows. So you first deal with immediacy, and then you say, okay, we're gonna be ready to move on to the next issue. It's very common that I will tell people in the orientation, you know, seriously, it's gonna take us at least five years to start working on this full list. In fact, I tell them in the orientation, if they cannot commit to at least five years with us, we're not interested. So, you know, in our average client will stay 15 or 20. Once you've built that trust relationship, that intimacy, you don't share that with very many people. You just don't. You don't tell them everything. You don't tell them, you know, which one of the kids are the most difficult. I have a saying that every family is a little dysfunctional, including the Rathbuns. So, you know, you just, you don't disclose that to many people. And so in that, in that orientation process, you find out through the, what the priorities are, what the concerns are, and you figure out what you do first, then you identify what's second, third, fourth. It may include a financial plan, it may not. Maybe there's some immediate issues, but you just have to go after. It'll take a good professional years to really accomplish what they need to do and get you know get the vehicle back on the road.
0: I'm sure it varies, but on average, how frequently do you actually meet with your average client?
1: Right, it varies. But, I mean, as a general statement, we say we're going to meet one to four times a year depending on your needs.
0: And if they refuse, so where I'm going with this is there are investors out there now that maybe they aren't into the process that you're describing. And I I want our listeners to understand in a little more detail that, you know, what I'm hearing from you is it's okay for you to set some ground rules. And if those ground rules don't work for that particular client, to your point, it's me, not you, earlier, Um, you then choose to part ways.
1: I'd rather have a breakup speech in the orientation.
0: Makes sense. I think that's hard for a lot of people, not just financial professionals, to do. Hopefully our listeners are hearing that um, depending, I guess, on their personality and the type of client that they're working with and the goals that they have for their business, that there is a model where it is okay for you to be extremely choosy about who you work with.
1: Well, and and one of the things we always say in the orientation is, you know, if we're not right for you, I'll, I'll give you some thoughts on who I think is.
0: That's a great way of putting it.
1: I mean, they may need to talk to an attorney. They may need to talk to a CPA. They They may need, you know, I know this is blasphemy, but they may need to talk to Edward Jones, you know, who knows, but it doesn't have to be me. And certainly there are one of the things you learn over the course of time there's ample opportunity to serve. It, it, there's, there is, a, is not a shortage of clients. There's a shortage of talented professionals.
0: Great perspective. John, let's shift gears and move over to the personal side. One of the things I try to do through this podcast in particular is let our listeners understand that there is life outside of work and that many of our financial professionals have a very well-balanced life. So talk to us about what you do outside of work. How do you spend your free time?
1: Well, I work too much first. My, my financial plan, my personal financial plan had us, as, had us retired at 60. When that arrived, it, it was just too soon for me. And so, but at the same point, I, I had to be responsible to my family. One of the things that's unique to my life, and I've used it in my planning many, many times, is my wife experienced cancer when she was 38. And she experienced that same reality multiple times in the next five years. And the University of Iowa, which is in Iowa, one of the major hospitals, you know, said she's not going to make it. I mean, the head of oncology sat there and told us to do our bucket list. That changed me as a planner, I think for the better, because I was not so driven to get everything done on the client's list immediately. It wasn't a case that I felt everybody had to retire at a given age with all kinds of financial success. What it said is there's balance. And, you know, that comes right back to who we are, especially today, you know, our value system, does not have to be worldly values. And their value system should not include all worldly values. So, you know, we're we're very candid with folks that, you know, we'll work on this, you go fishing, you go take your wife on a date, you know, you, you live life, you go hug the grandkids. Those precious, priceless values are much greater than anything we'll ever work with. So in that regard, you know, I, I think at 38, once Connie convinced the oncologist that she was wrong, that, you know, we began to travel, we began to do things. We began to do things that most of the time, at least back in my days, you put off for retirement. You know, we we have lake property and we were looking at it. My wife said, can we afford it? And I said, no, I'll just get another job. You know, that's always been kind of a side joke of mine, that each time she says, can we afford this when we weren't? perhaps ready for it in some regards. I said, no, I can just work two jobs. And, you know, we've managed, being planners, we've managed to be very responsible in our finances. And if it, if it required discipline on our part, so be it. But it allowed us to do a lot of things in our personal lives and traveling that we were able to do that, you know, we didn't know if we were going to get to do it in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. We just honestly did not know that. I mean, we had medical doctors telling us, you are not going to get to do that. And she just, this this is probably hard for me to say, but she looked at the oncologist and and she said, I'm going to see my grandbabies. And I, you know, being rational, husband, I said, honey, we'll talk about this on the way home. And she looked right at me and there was not a doubt in her eye. She says, I'm going to see my grandbabies.
0: She's a champ. Knowing her as I do, it's uh, heartbreaking that the two of you had to go through that part of your journey. But that said, she definitely was strong-willed and adamant. I could have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. So, how how many grandbabies?
1: Two. We got two of them. Two girls. So we're getting to enjoy them, and you know, the first one. Uh, I mean, literally, and this is the truth, she stood outside the birthing room and the nurses had to push her out of the way as as they were going in and out. She was going to hear that first cry and she did.
0: I love it. I might be a little bit like that too. I think that's just uh, a characteristic some of us mama bears have.
1: Yeah. So anyway, we've been blessed to plan ahead and do things ahead and and we don't you know our bucket list is different today than it would have been had we waited and so we you know we're blessed to have a good family we have faith I had marvelous parents you know our values our our net worth in personal values far exceeds you know our financial net worth
0: it sounds like many of your life experiences have allowed you to guide your clients in a similar way and that's what makes this business special.
1: Well, if you sat in our conference room where we meet all our clients, you would, you would literally see scripture on the walls. And we don't require that as part of our clients. It's just, you know, you would see the team very commonly reading a devotion every morning. And that's not mandated. That's just a personal choice. And it's just who we are. You know, if you're going to work with people, you might as well let them know who you are. It's their choice who they work with. So it's, you know, we are who we are. And that's why I think we choose our clients carefully.
0: Well, John, thank you for the vulnerability and the transparency that you've given our listeners today. As we're wrapping up this podcast, any parting words? Any final advice for our listeners?
1: Oh, I don't know. You know, I've done it. uh, This pathway has been mine. I think one of the smartest things that I ever did was literally breaking my business career down to five-year blocks. It gave me the ability to identify what I wanted to learn. You know, I can think of how I learned a lot more about the insurance investment business. I did taxes for my clients for a number of years. I literally, I jokingly, but literally was paid about a buck an hour. But, you know, that's the tuition you have to pay to get to become good you know, if you look at only being paid in dollars and cents for our time, you're not going to get there. You're not going to reach where you need to go. You have to invest a lot of time. And in the course of life, you know, we all spend a lot of tuition learning. (laughs) We just do. All of us do. So I think breaking down into five-year blocks and figuring out what I need to learn and where the business is going to be in five years, where it need to be in two years. It was a, it was not a straight journey, but it helped me to focus on what mattered.
0: Thank you for sharing that wisdom. Very good advice. Thank you for being a part of Cambridge Stronger and trusting Cambridge to be just a little part of the process as you've built your business. You
1: know, thank you for being with us.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger, I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com that's cambridgestronger.com